Our first message today is from Mr. Doyle Carter. It's entitled, Considering the Church. Doyle. Just a moment to get kind of set up here. At least this time I got the paper sort of set up. I think it's funny how Steve and Anita get to get, must get together. I'm joking, I'm joking, just as a side to break the ice, but every time Steve sets me up for a speech here, Toastmasters, Anita's the head of the Toastmasters of our little area, that we're like 253, Club 253, always has a speech for me that week as well. The only difference is I speak 30 to 35 minutes here, there I speak seven. Seven's a lot easier to work with. But, plus I also ran out, since I depend on these, I ran out of ink. He always run, figures when I run out of ink and do it at the same time. So let's get on with it, let's get on with what we got going on here. A little bit of southern colloquialism. Considering the church, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus states, that I will, what I was going to focus on this, as I told Brian, is just one, just his phrase there, I will build my church, and this comes from Christ. And I thought it would be nice, since we've had sermons this last couple of weeks, to kind of go into just considering the church, just the topic itself. You know, I'm not going to go over the whole topic, because that would take hours and hours. It's a large topic. I thought we'd I'd narrow my my range down the three major points or aspects of the church to consider today. Because as I said, I get a little hungry about 3 o'clock and you know, I know Mr. Gregory will just keep on going no matter what, so if I kept too long. I even adjusted the clock a little bit to help out. It was off by a few minutes. And also, this topic, I'm also it's a chance to reflect on what the church is. Because as a background to my experience, as I was telling someone last time, I actually entered the church when I was 18. Actually, I knew the truth when I was 16, just couldn't implement any of the truth because I lived at home and I just felt at the time that my parents overrode anything going on. And when I hit college, suddenly I quit eating pork, keeping the Sabbath. I can't, ah, the Holy Days took another year, Tom Justice, to teach me that one. But nevertheless, I started to do what needed to be done. And it's been about 30 years, so this is a chance to reflect on what I've learned over the years as well. So let's get started. My first aspect I want to go into is, who is the head of the church? Now we of course know the obvious answer to that, it's Jesus Christ. And, what, and let's go into that. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Let's go into two examples from Paul's writings. Let's go into that, we'll do that route. In Ephesians, we see in Ephesians 5, same, I think uh, Matt used this last time as far as a uh, scripture, but we'll reiterate re it, no harm done. It, it compares Christ and the church as being like a marriage. In Ephesians, which he's already got up there, Ephesians 22 through 24, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, also, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to the, or be to their husbands in everything. 
My point was in that, that scripture was just to show that in his analogy, Christ is the head of the church. And we are to submit ourselves to his will. Because it says that they are to, just as the church is, to, is subject to Christ. My other scripture I would like to use as a point here is in Colossians 1, 17 through 18. It says, and this is speaking of Christ, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church. I mean, we probably knew this answer, but just having this reference is a good thing because, like I say, just to prove it, because Paul definitely knew that Christ was the head of the church. As it said, we said anyway in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Now, and what, and as far as, now, let's see. But what about our church leaders as far as human beings? How, do, how would Christ address them? Well, I'm going to go into an example here that Jesus did. It's in Matthew 20. He sees his disciples arguing who's going to be the greatest in the church, you know, because he keeps speaking of the kingdom of God. That makes sense. Hey, I'll, I'll be better. Hey, you know, who, what positions I'll be in. Jesus heard this, and when Jesus heard it, he called them together, as it says in Matthew 20, 25 through 26. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whosoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Pastors, elders, are pretty much servants to the people to help us out. They're like shepherds. Christ sets them a good example as far as, you know, when they do the role models and that. As, for example, he healed people. He preached. He even fed a couple of thousand several times, at least twice. So our leaders are not to lord over us. I mean, sometimes they have to do things that are a little uncomfortable, but overall they're actually pastors and they must do what's best for the group. And they are to be led by Christ. As one of my warnings, and this is why I said reflection earlier, I've seen examples where the people themselves overdid what they should when they think. For example, there was a leader... There's been some leaders in the church who have been awesome teachers, great on the radio, TV, and all that, but you would sit, when they messed up, a couple of times they messed up, you would have people, individuals who will go, well, if he can't be good enough, then he obviously whatever he said was wrong. And not realizing the message he was using out of the Bible is what was, he, was, was important, not the person himself. He was just a servant of Christ, that was it. So we must avoid, as a, as a group, to not idolize our, our church leaders that are human, because they are flawed. All, and also, we, our leaders must, don't know how, I don't know how the leaders don't do it, because the ego seems to be in human beings, but I guess God's spirit works with us, and I'm like that. But we've ought to be cautious, the, those who do lead the church also need to be cautious as well about being lording over or thinking they're bigger than they are. 
I'm, I'm going to an example, and I'm not going to say names. There's something that happened in 1996. The older people know what's going on in that. This certain church evangelist made a mistake, and it was, it was on video and all that stuff, and not important, all that information. He was approached by the board of directors of that church and was asked, they didn't ask him to step down, which was actually I liked, because he was a good preacher or a good evangelist. They just asked him for six months to a year sabbatical to break. You know, just break a little bit, see if he can solve the problem, work with it. And his expression, this came from a really good source of the person from the board, said, I built this church and you can't remove me. That is not the attitude of a leader should have as, as far as in the church. You know, he should not have said that. Christ used him and his talents to bring, to actually build the church, yes, but he didn't build it. He drew people that direction. Now, as a disclaimer, I'm not saying don't give honor to those who actually work for you. I mean, in fact, the opposite. I think we should honor those who actually serve, whether they're in the kitchen, pastor, elder. If they set a good role model, if they're good role models and they seem to follow Christ, or they, as they follow Christ, Right, we should honor them, but just remember in the church, Jesus Christ is the one who directs and leads the church. That's the point I'm trying to make. And of course, being a bachelor, I honor the cooks for sure because I like the food. But, you know, <laughs> that's why I said kitchen folks, so maybe I'll get an extra helping this afternoon. No, but everybody has their role, whether it's the person who cleans up, whether it's the person who, like say, makes the food. The music, we heard some good music today. They, it, it's an awesome ministry in itself. The second one is, what is the body of Christ? Well, we are the body of Christ, which the other two scriptures kind of covered that, but I was going to go into it, it through an example Paul gave, an analogy of how, he, when he talked to, spoke to the Corinthians, about how the church is like the body of Christ, or the body, he compared Anyway, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, and I'm going to spare you for time not to read the whole thing. Just going to use it as a reference for your studies. As I said, this would be a great Bible study for someone. Time is definitely an issue. You don't want to, because that could take a while. Because he, as Matt said last week, Paul says so much in so little scriptures. It's, you can't just narrow it down sometimes. You can make sermons out of just a few of them and then follow other has. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we see in his analogy, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And it says in verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. He has Christ. It makes the analogy that we, the people out here, not, not an organization, not a building, we, the people out here who are, that Christ has called, is the body of Christ. And then he compares it to the body, of course, where if one says, like the ear says, I can't hear, then you know, I'm not part of the body, which is not true. It just has a different function. I wouldn't hear my heaves drop if I didn't have ears. You know? <laughs> my eyes don't see that well. As proof of that, I'm going to use my notes instead of this. My font had to be a little higher. Seriously, this afternoon, I was practicing, just as a side. I was practicing. 
I couldn't read from, from here down, I can read it, but not very well. I have the font high enough here where I can read this from right back here. So go figure. Age catches up with you. Ah, and one point I did want to go into. Considering the fact, we, considering that, there is, as my expression goes, there is no such thing as a perfect church. I just had to gather thoughts a second. I'm approaching this a little different because I was going to say I've heard so many people get offended by individuals in the church and then just say, I'll stay home. Everybody's this, everybody's that in this church. We are not perfect. First off, we just got to deal with that. We are not perfect. Human, human beings are not perfect. And if you don't believe that, just watch how your companies work. This week we found that out real quick. There was lack of communication where I work. and it, it, You can tell humans just don't always work together as perfect. But on that, we know this as a scriptural proof on this. We see that in Corinthians, Paul again, in 1 Corinthians 26, I mean, I'm sorry, 1, 26 through 29. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things that are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring nothing, the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We're all striving to be better. We may make mistakes, which I'm glad I'm much different than I was 20 years ago. I've made tons of mistakes. But that's the thing. We're all growing. We're all getting better. With the guidance of Christ, as time goes, we're, we get better and better. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Is Before you, you, know, somebody, you hear someone say how terrible the church is, realize we're just a group of imperfect individuals who have to overcome many issues and they're all different. And as time goes, with the leadership of Christ, we will get better. The third point was, what is the purpose of the church? I was going to let Jesus Christ answer this one, at least at the initial part, because he gave a good answer. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, his instructions to his disciples and future apostles was the following. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to you, me, in heaven and on earth. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. So we're to go out and make disciples of all nations, of course, if you read other areas, you realize wherever God draws them in, we're to baptize them, we're to be available to baptize them, and then go and teach them God's way and truth, that they may follow it. How do we do this? 
because this kind of hit me last night on this one. How? Well, that's again where the church has to work, has to think about it a minute. I know of a church, just an example, in Springfield. Some of you may know who this is. They were only 12 in number, older group, didn't know what to do. They wanted to be something in their community. They knew, I mean, they were aware that they couldn't afford radio, TV, and all that. And they decided, I mean, they did a prayer. They did prayer and fasting for a little bit. One of the ladies happened to in, somehow get in contact with a battered women's, a shelter for battered women. There you go, I always get those words mixed up. But, and, they, and she just was getting involved with helping it. And she mentioned it to the pastor and said, well, we got many older women here who might just be able to help these younger women who are having problems with their marriage and, you know, their husbands and so forth and, and they need guidance. So they got involved with that. And that's how they got their light to the world. They went out and actually found a cause. They weren't trying to convert anyone. They just felt that that would help. They, could, being older women in the church, could help these younger women who are having problems in the world and be a light to them and show them the, a better way. And I think their church did grow a little bit. And that's just one example of how, whether you're a large group or small group, you just pray to God and you ask for guidance and just say, hey, what is you want us to what are what is what is you want us to do? I mean, some put out web pages. There's a web page out in Cincinnati, small group. I didn't realize they were small, but they put up things like Ron Dart's articles and such. They they do their part. In addition to this, the one the one side one this part actually has taken a while to get in my head, meaning it's the growth of the idea. God is building a family through the church. His body. We read this. He sa it says in Romans 8, 14 through 16. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear bears witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. He's building a family. You know, and I, like I said 20 years ago, you know, I, being an only child, that meant something as time went. Because I've always said I didn't have brothers and sisters, and somebody at church said one time, that's not true. You have hundreds here. You just haven't looked. So that's what I meant when I said over the years it took time to learn. I said I don't have grandparents and all, and I know a few people who said that's not true. <laughs> you just don't know that. But we're, it's a family situation. And God has a bigger purpose for us. Not just to build a family, but he has greater promises. He promises eternal life. You know, like I was talking to Dad the other day about, well, it was a while back, but he's hitting a certain age, and I am too, and he knows his time is limited. God knows that too, and he has a plan for us. All this knowledge and accumulated information you've got and then you pass on is one religion in the world thinks that, I think it's an Eastern religion, feels that you just die. That's it. That's all. And I told my friend, that's a waste. You know, you live 70, 80 years, whatever, and you learn how to do carpentry, or you learn how to work in a warehouse, you're highly organized, whatever you do, and you learn the Bible, and you learn history, or whatever, and you pass on. That's a waste. I told him that God makes more sense. He's going to promise eternal life to those who will follow him. And there's even a bigger purpose than that, as I'll go into after this. 
But he has plans for us in the future. And the church is to help us develop. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I think this kind of summarizes a lot of what I've been saying here. It was going to be a part of this, but I decided to go ahead and do it because it covers all the points. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we see that Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, And he, Christ, himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son, Jesus Christ, to a perfect man, as I said earlier, to be, so we can become the perfect man through Christ, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, into in the cunning craftiness of the deceitful, uh, deceitful plotting. So basically in this verse I gather that, you know, we come to church, we get together, we sharpen each other, we make a, so the world can't just, you know, throw something at us and we just go, oh, that's a good idea. You know, we, we know to analyze it, look in the Bible and realize, hey, this may not be what we're, this may not be scriptural. As I was talking, as I made a comment in there, I was telling someone once how many scriptures he using. He says his pastor only uses three scriptures and speaks 45 minutes. I'm like, then how do you know what he said is true? I mean, if he's not grounding it in this Bible, what's, what, are you, what are you getting out of it? Well, he tells a lot of good stories. There's a lot of good stories here, too. <laughs> you can utilize the Bible. It's great information. I mean, yeah, 66 books in the Old Testament and... I forgot how many are actually in the new as far as letters, but there's tons of letters by Paul. I mean, there's plenty of stories. And you can learn. It's the Word of God. So, and people will do that. That's, you see it on TV all the time. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the, bo the whole body joined, and knit it together by which, what every joint supplies, according to effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we all have our place in the church is what I'm gathering from verse 16, because it says according to this edifying, according to the effective working of, of which each part does its share. Each of us have a share. I joke about the women cooking, but you've got to have someone who cleans the church. You've got to, so, and you say, well, I don't do all that much. Well, what if you come in and just say, hey, Doyle, you look like you're kind of down. Do you need someone to talk to today? You know, because you know, life puts us down. Encouragement. We can encourage each other. We can help each other in that way. It doesn't have to be money. It could just be, hey, you know, what's going on? I picked me as an analogy because one time I did come in kind of like, well, because you have your bad weeks, believe it or not. Maybe you don't, but I do. This week was good. But the, no matter what our gift is, whether it's encouragement, music, we have the band up here. I was going to call them choir. It's a private joke. I've always called them choir. I don't know why. But we have the band up here, and they do an awesome job, and they're doing a job, good job today. You have pastors, teachers, you know, 
You got directors of the feast. You know, you got people with great talent in the church. I. And this is what makes the church a dynamic church. Is because we, if we're led by the Spirit and allow the Spirit to work with our talents, we can become like a dynamic church. I mean, when I, and that, that's why I stopped a second, because dynamic. I'm thinking of like, you know, we go out in whatever means that God gives us and we do our job. And we, we try to grow and become better as a person. And we do what we need to do. We, you know, we have our pastors, we have our elders, as I said, we have all the... We even have, not to mention... Thanks to Brian and them with the Tulsa Church of God and the CEM, since I help with Facebook. Because of their efforts, we're able, we're able to actually put stuff on Facebook and get a lot of responses. And that's cool. We get to share this information with the world in that media as well. So to summarize what, we've, to summarize what I was going over today, first, in the three points, first, who is the head of the church? Christ. He has multiple helpers. It'd be pastors, elders, some unnamed. Sometimes you're just not named or in the background. You may be whatever. Cooks, janitors, whatever you need to be because unfortunately you need to eat and still have to be cleaned up after. You know, sometimes even my own house gets messed up. You know, we mess our own worlds up. They're their servants to help with the flock. Second, who's the church? We are the church. Not an organization. Not a building. It's the people. It's the God, the Spirit-led people who are not perfect, but are striving to be like Christ and become perfect. The third purpose, the third, is the purpose of the church. We are to be dynamic, using our, tech, our, our knowledge, technology, whatever we have, to spread the gospel, to teach the way, to a dying world. If you watch news, we're, it's just depressing to hear the news. We're to help bring hope to the world. That there's a, something better coming along in the future. The church, one of the purposes is to get the people ready for the kingdom of God. Because we're not, the family, the, he's building a family, yes, but it's also to be a rulership in the kingdom of God, that we can make things better. That's the ultimate, one of the, the main purposes I didn't really cover, cover, but it's something I would definitely keep in my heart that we as the church will someday. If we make it, and we do everything we can, follow Christ, work together, individually and otherwise, we'll be part of the kingdom to solve a lot of the problems in the world in a righteous manner. So I just thought these are some things to consider. And as the week goes, just kind of consider some of these and...